Hear that? It's the sound of someone whacking the ground with a rake. Specifically, they're beating around the bush, which we've done enough of in this ad too, so let's get right to it. The new moneymaker scratch-off from the Ohio Lottery doesn't beat around the bush. Money maker. Play the game and you could win money, up to $2 million. With more than $88 million in prizes, ranging from $50 to $500, Moneymaker cuts right to the cash. Lottery players are subject to Ohio laws and commission regulations. Play responsibly. Are you looking for a view of the world that's a bit different? Hi, I'm Jason Palmer, a host of The Weekend Intelligence, a podcast from The Economist. Join us to hear the stories that matter most to our correspondents and editors. Every Saturday, we introduce you to people and ideas that take you outside the ordinary and expand your horizons one episode at a time. Join us and see the world from a new perspective. To listen free until May 31st, search Spotify for The Weekend Intelligence. Are you saying this just as a sort of a, just to warn listeners that there, there may be a caveat, that there may be a, a slight, I, I, I could, I a, mean, a slight sluggishness to our tone? No, there's not a sluggishness. But I, I'm going to speak. So Matthew Clayton, what did you have for breakfast? Oh, <laughs> electric. Look, soup. I think I'm yet to have breakfast. Actually, I'm still on. Yeah, I'm still on. I'm still on the liquid listen diet. To, listen to him. You might hear my voice has changed slightly. <laughs> regular <laughs> listeners, listen to that. <laughs> Mm. A, a good the, time at Apple, wasn't it, John? The, it was. It was a great party. We had a, we had a very jolly time, and uh, there were. The, I had, funny enough, breakfast. I had a really good breakfast in this really good cafe on City Road called the Aquila, and they have a master full breakfast, an apprentice full breakfast, which is quite good. So I went for the full master, uh, which was Did delicious. You? Yeah. Do you have a pizza and then you can have a master and margarita? <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're, you're polite, thank you. What a, um, um, what a lovely idea, a sort of literary yeah. pizza-themed yeah. kind of uh, restaurant. So I've got a question about Unbound. Have you? Yeah, I have, because it's, it's a sincere question, yeah. which is, so Unbound's been going for five years. It's Correct. a publishing model that hadn't been tried before. Correct. What are the... Well, we would say it hadn't been tried since, you know, the 18th century. But what are the things that have surprised you in terms of, of this model over the last five years of kind of crowdfunding books rather than a publisher giving an author money to go away and write a book? I suppose the, 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 the fact that the idea has gone down so well with so many people. I, for me, it's 126 countries, so we've had people pledge for... 156. 156 countries, yeah. sorry. And I think that's really interesting. I think that has um, consequences... For the future, for our what do you mean that you've now up to a hundred people from 156 different countries have, yeah, have pledged for wow. our books? And I think also the other thing is that finding books in places where perhaps people haven't been expecting to find books before. We, a lot of the most successful things we've done, like Letters of Note, don't come through the sort of the the, the normal route. You know, somebody has an idea, finds an agent, sells a book to a publisher. So. Does that answer your question? <laughs> well, yeah. yeah, not bad. Yeah, right. <laughs> not, not bad, given your parlous state. I was going to say. <laughs> if you'd been there last night, you'd have heard a much more uh, thoroughly thought through and detailed sure. uh, account of exactly what. No, but it's been, it's a blast. I haven't had, I've never done anything that I've enjoyed as much. And I've done a few things, as you know. Down. It's that, you can bring the backing track in now. <laughs> yes. It's time for your song. <laughs> um, should we go? Should we start? Uh, hello and welcome to Backlisted, the podcast that gives new life to old books. I'm John Mitchinson, the publisher of Unbound, uh, our sponsor, and the website that brings readers and authors together. We're gathered once more around the kitchen table here in Unbound Towers. And I'm Andy Miller, author of The Year of Reading Dangerously. Uh, with us today, as per usual, is the publisher and maverick doctor, Matthew Clayton. And we're also Hello, joined everyone. by Rob Bound. Uh, Rob's the culture editor at Monocle. What are we here to discuss today? What have you brought to the table I have brought for our delectation? Cocaine today? Nights by J.G. Ballard. Oh, um, maybe, he, maybe this is the novel through which we can enter into a, a larger Ballardian sphere. Um, <laughs> I, I did see this on Twitter, so I suggested. Yeah, every time the word... <laughs> Mm, Balladian. <laughs> <laughs> a little bell would ring. Um, maybe it should be a drinking game. Oh. Oh. Okay, but what we, uh, it's traditional for me at this point to say to you, Andy, um, what have you been reading? 
We, um, we've been reading, I've been reading and you've been reading a book that we actually mentioned when we were up in Durham a few weeks ago. We, we, have. we decided today we're going to talk about that just briefly. Yeah. Uh, it's a book by the American author, a novel by the American author Colson Whitehead called The Underground Railroad, which has been, certainly in the States, has been, um, and here I guess, I think, has been getting really, really good reviews, has already been nominated for the National Book Award uh, for Fiction in America. I, I think I recommended it to you, John, because the publisher here very kindly sent me a proof yeah, a few I mean, months ago. You did, and I read it, I think, about a month ago. Yeah. And it, I have to say, it's the best book I've read all year, and it's possibly the best book I've read in a very long time. It's just, uh, I think, remarkable. We, I think Rob, you came and talked about it on Monocle Radio. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I have talked about it before. I mean, I think if you don't know what it's about, we should say that it is, it is antebellum. It's slavery. It's a, a counter-remarkable journey for, of two characters towards freedom. Um, they're both slaves in the South. The Underground Railroad was an actual... It was an actual thing, but it wasn't the thing that is in this book. That's one of the more mm. remarkable things about Whitehead. I mean, there's so much to admire about this novel, but the way he turns... What was a, a, a the, the railroad was a it was a metaphor for groups of people who helped slaves escape, but what he does is he imagines the railroad as an actual underground railroad, yeah. so it has yeah, almost yeah. a kind of Marquesian merging of, of, of real and there's a lot of history real history in the book, and I think but also with a real contemporary resonance as well. Yeah, there's a character who I don't want to again no spoilers, but yeah. there's a character who occurs later in the book who is very clearly, to my mind, supposed to have parallels with Obama. And yeah. um, Obama's fate is not the right word, but Obama's effect and the potential disquiet and unhappiness that would cause to certain parts of the population. We're recording this, of course, a few days before the American elections. So. Yeah. I mean, it's... In fact, Obama, this, this book was... In terms of the, the, the publishing wind behind this book, in the States, it was chosen for Oprah's Book Club yeah. straight away. Obama was reading it over the summer. It had an incredible review in the New York Times by Kakatani. And uh, if people don't know who Colson Whitehead is, he's the author of several novels, including... Um, there's one um, called John Henry Days, which is a great novel. Mm. And his last book was called Zone One, uh, was a big bestseller in the states again, and that's a in in contrast is a is a New York zombie apocalypse <laughs> book. So he's got some range uh, to draw and on. It also brings out the best in reviewers. It seems this this I've had some really good reviews of it. Yeah, I, I think because he he mean the facts, the details of slavery are, are probably are presented in as raw and as and several people have said there are times in this book where you sort of just have to put it down and and go and walk around outside for a bit it's so, it is really harrowing but to not 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 i think because he's trying just to shock i mean that it's a beautifully i think constructed and yeah. artfully constructed yeah, yeah. immaculately written you know it's one of those books as i i i read it in a, a pretty much at a sitting because once it grips you it... first of all I, I thought from a kind of is it lift, published from a, by the way is it yeah coming? yeah it's out now yeah, it, yeah. and it's published here right with, on uh, we should say uh, Ursula Doyle's imprint fleet yeah. which is part of um, um, Little Brown that's it? right um, and, and also Colson Whitehead is here in the UK uh, between November the 13th and November the 17th. And he's an amazing reader. If anybody has, he's listening to this and has a chance to go and see him, I mean, go and see If him. this doesn't win, all the prizes it's entered. Well, this is one of the things that, we, that I wanted to talk about and, and I found fascinating about reading this book. So on the one hand, from a kind of literary, you know, editorial point of view, I read the book and thought, what a great book. Yeah. It's fantastically written, real quality. About something really important. Yeah. But I also thought with my former <laughs> book-selling hat on, I knew really quickly, I was thinking, okay, this is going to be a big book. This is the sort of thing you could recommend to a customer Absolutely. very easily and straightforwardly. Right? And I was wondering, what, what has it got, do you think, that makes it? Because we agree about this, yeah. right? It's the sort of book that, were we a big book chain, I'd immediately be thinking, okay, what can we do to get behind this? We need to get behind yeah. this because this is going to be a big book. Yeah. I guess it has that sort of perfect storm of, 
I mean, you know, it's about slavery, it's about race. So it's, it's got real meat, the content of the book, that the lives of these two people, their family, it's formally ambitious, you know, without being in any way scary. I always felt that those books, like, for example, Birdsong or The Secret History, those yeah. books that really take off, they make the reader feel as though this, hey, this literature thing, yeah, yeah, it's, it's, this it's, literary it's, fiction thing, this is, it, this is easy. Yeah. So it, may, it really pulls the reader in and, and takes them along, but does all these other things as well. I tell you why I was really fascinated by it, actually, to compare it to the Paul Beatty's yeah, winning yeah. novel, yeah, interesting. The Sellout, yeah. is there is going to be a lot of unfinished copies of The Sellout out yeah. there, because as we said on this podcast back in the summer, that is a book that really demands that you <coughs> try your hardest to engage with it. And it's very intense. You didn't finish it, I Matthew. barely started there it, in go. fact. I only got about 20 pages in. It's tough. It's a, yeah. it's a demanding read, right? You whereas this, this whereas the Underground Railroad, I think is... And this is not to diminish the Underground Railroad at all, is a much more gripping uh, narrative-led proposition it, it really and i mean that's the other thing it's a it's a, a na- nail biting you know it's yeah. people trying to escape yeah it's the oldest plot yeah. in the book you know it's a journey jeopardy on every page horrific you know are they they're, they're pursued by um what's he called the the the, the terrifying guy ridgeway isn't ridgeway it? that's yeah. right who's, who's pursuing them so you've got clear narrative you've got big powerful things and, and brilliantly i mean the characters are I would sort of feel, you know, on Darcy, that, that kind of literary quality, but also great storytelling. I mean, you know, that I think, remember reading The English Patient in, yeah. in manuscript and you thought, mm. yeah. wow, you know. And I th- it does feel to me that this is obviously, the, it's already a, a, a huge hit in America. And I think, you know, you, with a bit of the oxygen you'll get from prize shortlists and so on, I'm sure it'll, it'll break it's out It's a sort here. of, it's... it's I, I think maybe I... I mean, I really liked it. I, I don't, I'm not sure I liked it as much as you did, John, but it is the sort of book that I think anyone who listens to this podcast... I, I can't imagine why you wouldn't like it, really. No, no. we both read quite a lot of contemporary mm-hmm. fiction, and it, it, to me it it's st- stands out over most of the stuff I've read for the last two or three years, I would say. So... You might want to wait till it comes out in paperback listeners, but have <laughs> that it is on a beautiful, your, have that it is on a your beautiful binding, and that is a beautiful cover done it, of yeah, the co- done of uh, this is Fleet, right? Yeah, yeah a really that's, nice job. that's lovely. A really, really nice lovely job. job. Yeah. Um, I think it's the American setting, but it's still it's yeah. great. It's I mean, it's the sort of book that, as you say, Andy, you're not going to. I I, it, I can't imagine anybody turning around saying, "God, that was a load of rubbish." Yeah. I mean, even if you don't think it's as, it's a great book. You, you're going to you're going to be you're going to remember it. Hey, it can't all be book chat. Smoke Chesterfields. Okay, so um, we are going to talk. We are going to be talking about JG Ballard. It is, has become traditional. Uh, the first question that we ask our guests, Rob, when did you first read this book, Cocaine Nights? So I first read Cocaine Nights. It was lent to me by a mate. I was going. I was going to Gibraltar. Which is, yeah. which is exactly where the book starts. And, I, uh-huh. and, and, and my, a mate of mine used to live in Gibraltar for tax reasons. And <laughs> <laughs> another mate of mine lent me this book and goes, oh, it's, really, it's good, it's a, weird, it's a thriller, but it's like a bad thriller on purpose, is how he described it, <laughs> when I was maybe 19 or something. And that, without revealing... When, roughly, what era are we talking about? Late nineties, early nineties. So this is a, this is late late nineties. I think it just it was in this form, this beautiful original. Yes. So this, I've got the original nineteen ninety six hardback with the mirror cover and the splash and line of cocaine on it. People had it at school. It was kind of naughty and it was looked good. Yeah, um, it was an essential essential accessory in in some ways. Anyway, I read it. I started reading it in Gibraltar on this slightly decadent, debauched holiday where we drove into Marbella and into Spain and sometimes came back and quite often didn't. So in some ways it lived up to its title. That was the first... The first, um, first time I read it. And I've read it many times since and read it a couple of times in preparation for this. So you read it like 
not an impressionable age, is that right? Or yeah, a bit older absolutely. than an impressionable age. It would have been it would have been it was an impressionable age for me, but it shouldn't shouldn't have been. I was clearly a late bloomer. <laughs> <laughs> That's very good. <laughs> I suppose. It was one of those things where when it come when it came packaged like this, you kinda of think, Oh, there's something in that for me. Yeah, yeah, okay. Um, and uh, and I was just intrigued by my friend's description of it as like a as a bad thriller almost <laughs> on purpose. I was like, Wow, I have to read this and he devoured it in a, in sort of two or three days. And are you and my supplement? That's a, that's, a good, that's a good line. Then my say. supplementary <laughs> question, because we've got to set this up. Yeah. Right? My supplementary question is, is that the first Ballard that you read? And did you become a Ballard fan as a result of this? Or was it subsequent books? Or I, had tr- I had muddled my way through Crash again, which felt like, a, which was, again, one of these kind of like illicit, sort of a set text of the illicit brigade, you know. <laughs> that you, so I struggled through that, didn't finish, didn't get it. Um, and I was too young to enjoy it at all. So this was the first, but this was my entry into Ballard. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But you are a big Ballard And that, fan, since right? then I've become a huge Ballard fan, yeah. which is why I wonder, um, gents, whether or not this is this is classic ballad, or even if it if it if it sort of has all the key bits of ballad in it, or whether it's whether it is a good whether whether cocaine nights is a good gateway drug. I <laughs> I I think I think what we should do. We don't normally do this, but I think we should go round the table and starting with you, John, and state our position on ballad. <laughs> okay, my position on ballad is that he is. I think he's one of the most interesting and important writers. English writers of the late 20th century. I don't love him in the way that I know that some people do, but I I never read a Ballard book and come away without a strong reaction. Sometimes that reaction is negative, but mostly it is just marvelling at the density of ideas. You know, you often talk about English writers as being ideas light. Well, Ballard is definitely ideas heavy. And there is another thing that I find quite curious about him, and I think a lot of people had this one. Like a lot of people, my, my entry to Ballard was Empire of the Sun, which is yeah. really untypical Ballard, I now mm. see. Yeah, yeah. And I guess to some extent that has overshadowed all my reading of the, of mm-hmm. the other books, some of the early books. And then the, the late, we're talking about Cocaine Nights, it's really, we'll talk more about it, the idea that he has this sort of strange late flowering we're where gonna, he writes kind of, yeah. kind of the same book three times. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, sort yeah. Of, they're sort of almost genre novels yeah. as well. Uh, uh, and yeah. or, or are they? Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, Matthew, <laughs> what is your position on J.G. Ballard? So, um, I, and I think it's interesting where you... Well, what stage in your life were when you got interested in Ballard? So, for me, it was when I was 15 or 16, and like Joy Division. And Joy mm. Division yeah. had that, the atrocity exhibition. There was a bootleg... Joy Division bootleg LP called the Atrocity Exhibition. Yeah. Well. So he came to me as this like, oh, it's this cool, slightly countercultural figure who wrote these weird British books that don't really feel that British in some way. They felt sort of more European, I think, when I was a teenager. Yeah. So I read them as a teenager, basically. And then, again, have come back to this, you know, super can and high rise more recently. Yeah, and I, I like Ballard, yeah. Right. OK, this is my position Andy, on yeah. J.G. Ballard, which anyone who follows me on Twitter will know. <laughs> I go on and on about. Right, so basically, <laughs> I am a Ballard sceptic, uh, at, at best. Um, and um, I've never done so much prep for an episode of, Bat- of Batlisted. I'm as so as sorry as for putting no, you no, through no, this. No, you know what? You. no, 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 no. The, the Ballard that I'd read prior to... Rob, you saying that you wanted to come on and do Cocaine Nights. Yeah. The ballad that I read was uh, High Rise. But in the last month, I've read An- Empire of the Sun, Crash, The Atrocity Exhibition, Half the Stories in the Terminal Beach, <laughs> most of the interviews in Extreme Metaphors. So, so you I, 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 I feel a bit moved, unwell. I've moved, like around, I've moved around what I, how I feel about ballad quite a lot in the last month. But I do want to read you this quote, which basically... I, I think still sums up how I feel about Ballard, right? And, and it'll be something we talk about in relation to Cocaine Nights. So, this is a, this is a quote from Jonathan Meads, the great Jonathan yes, Meads. Yes, indeed. Yeah. And this is what he says. He said this in an interview with The White Review. I find with Ballard that the ideas are fascinating, but the prose is a trudge. <laughs> Grim. There's no poetry, it's just dull. But the ideas are interesting. Anthony Burgess once said there are two kinds of literature. The really important one, Class A, 
is only any good if you can turn it into a film and make any money out of it. Whereas Class B is interesting to read, the prose is fascinating, and the actual medium is used. But I like the way that Class A is kind of trash, and Ballard was pretty much Class A. He's a literary writer, but there's no joy in reading it. You read it for the information and the extremely interesting and often very disturbing ideas. Wow. It's, now, that I, is, that's yeah. my position on Ballard. My position yeah. on Ballard is there are such interesting ideas yeah. and, and, and yeah. in, for instance, the short stories, mm. they last for 30 pages and that's an appropriate length. Yeah. But like this book, Cocaine Nights, it felt to me like a 330-page short story. It had, it had a great central idea and then off we go into the Ballardian ding! tropes <laughs> of the empty the drained swimming pools yeah. and the you know the, the I, uh, we must talk about the sex scene in well, this that is, as well yeah I've got the sex scene uh, we, we post it noted in my, in my <laughs> copy do great. not worry great, I, was, great. I told you I've had this since I was almost <laughs> since, yeah, since I was a young. much younger man, yeah, yeah, young exactly. man. <laughs> who are we to, to disagree with, with Jonathan Meads um, who, but I, th- I think both of their minds work in similar ways as well actually and, and, um, in, in lots of ways I think uh, yeah, I'm sure their preoccupations right. are the, old, the, the abject kind of subjectivity of the, of, their, of the way their minds work is probably aligned. I'm just going to read a little bit of the author biog and then I'm going to read something else which I think is very useful. J.G. Ballard was born in 1930 in Shanghai, China, where his father was a businessman. Following the attack on Pearl Harbor, Ballard and his family were placed in a civilian prison camp. They returned to England in 1946. After two years at Cambridge where he read medicine, Ballard worked as a copywriter and Covent Garden porter before going to Canada with the RAF. He started writing short stories in the late 1950s while working on a scientific journal. His first major novel, The Drowned World, was published in 1962. In 1964, while on holiday in Spain with their children, his wife died suddenly from pneumonia, and he famously brought up his three children in the semi-detached house in Shepparton, where he lived for the life. rest of yeah, his life, yeah, right? Since they got, before they and um, uh, famously, we have the Atrocity Exhibition, we have a novel called Crash, we have a novel called High Rise... We have Empire of the Sun that John was talking about. All the Class A that was turned uh, into films. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's right. And um, so he died in um, 2009. I just want to add to that this excellent, I think, um, synopsis of the different sorts of books that Ballard wrote. Mm. And this is from the obituary that appeared in The Guardian in 2009. Although best known for his 1984 bestseller Empire of the Sun... His first fame in the early 1960s was as a science fiction writer, hailed by slightly older peers such as Kingsley Amis and Brian Aldiss. But within a decade or so, his reputation had modulated into that of an avant-garde provocateur admired by visual artists and punk rockers. Another decade on, and he re-emerged as a great novelist of the Second World War experience with Empire of the Sun, shortlisted for the Booker Prize which lost to Anita Bruckner's Hotel du Lac. (laughs) (laughs) And winning winning his widest ever public. Yet another decade on, and he seemed to redefine himself as a special kind of crime writer. So we're now in the period of Cocaine Mm. Nights. One with a peculiar sinister vision of late 20th century modernity that appealed particularly to the younger end of Britain's literary and arts scene. But I think that's an it's excellent pretty good. It's pretty good, summation. Yeah, it's very good. And what, Rob, could you just say, you were saying to me earlier, so brilliantly, you know, the repetition of imagery in Ballard mm. is, is something very deliberate, isn't it? And, and crops up where and when you least expect it. Seems to it. crop up, exactly. I mean, having read um, Empire of the Sun and the sequel to that, The Kindness of Women, which is amazing, I think... Um, as we were saying before, Andy, a lot of people didn't like these books because they unlocked the key. You know, true Ballard fans felt that it yeah. had kind of given, the, it had given the, the secret code to the computer game and now everyone could complete it easily. It's what John Lanchester said. It, uh, That's it right. tipped off the normals. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> unendearingly. But anyway, yeah, carry on. It but is yeah. that thing, you know. And there was probably something similar to, to liking Joy Division about liking it. It was yeah, liking yeah. the warts and all, liking the trickiness of it, liking the, 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 the atonal quality of a lot of it. And some of that is in the prose as well. There is an atonal, mm-hmm. clinical, sort of almost studiedly 
not dull, but scientific. As we said, we, we, we were working on scientific journals, especially in his sex scenes. We will come to this sex scene later yeah, yeah, on, yeah. right? <laughs> Building um, it up, I love it. The sex scenes in the kind of, sort of women and the sex scenes in, well, I suppose not in The Empire of the Sun. It's a bit, a bit young for that. Yeah. You know, but, um, are clinical, are strange, they're scientific. All the, all, there's no, there are no cocks in it. They are, they are glands and, and penises. Sex acts. There are labia, sex labias acts. and vulvas. There are no yeah. kind of... It reminds me of Ross in Friends asked to name uh, a rude word and he just goes, Crucial. Vulva. <laughs> Crucial. <laughs> Crucial bit is that he was a medical student. Yeah. And he writes um, in his autobiography, Miracles of Life, yeah. He writes about this, uh, it, this dissecting faces in particular, mm. which is, uh, it comes back again and again. It, it, the ability to look at something and to look at it so closely that you lose the sense of it being what it is. It's not a dead human face. It's a kind of a, it's a landscape. I think it's really interesting what you said. Can I read what I would see, what I would put forward as an absolutely classic Ballard paragraph for anybody you know listening who doesn't know Ballard's work? But this is, comes on early in the book, but it's it's just to me this is this this ticks a lot of Ballard boxes. The guy, the main character in the book, is a a travel writer who is um, we'll we'll come on to the blurb. But already thinking of a travel article, I noted the features of this silent world, the memory erasing white architecture the enforced leisure that fossilised the nervous system, the almost Africanized aspect, but a North Africa invented by someone who had never visited the Maghreb, the apparent absence of any social structure, the timelessness of a world beyond boredom with no past, no future, and a diminishing present. Perhaps this was what a leisure-dominated future would resemble. Nothing could ever happen in this affectless realm where entropic drift calmed the surfaces of a thousand swimming pools. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh shiver up the spine! Oh. Come on! Full now, house. By the way, thanks for reading the bit I was going to read. Oh, yeah. sorry. Oh. No, that's, well, that, that is yeah. That is kind of... If, you wanna, <laughs> yeah. if you're going to distill Ballard, that it's, yeah. it's alive with ideas, but then you all, you all... I mean, I sort of get what Meads is saying. He's not really... Uh, you know, you were saying... I think saying, that's Meadsian. Yeah. You were just yeah. saying there, John, about... Um, I don't think that's bad writing, I have to say. Ballard's... Story, quite strong. You were saying there, John, about Ballard's experience as a doctor and um, and as a... Uh, sorry. Medical a, student. Medical student, yeah, yeah. sorry. And um, I just read a story this morning on the train on the way here from the Terminal Beach called uh, The Drowned Giant which I think it was completely extraordinary. Mm. And what, this is why I say my opinion and my feelings about Ballard have shifted all the time over the last month. And if we were doing this, if we were doing, recording this in a month's time, I think I would feel differently again. Because that story is clinically brilliant mm. in terms of managing to anatomise the idea and the physical presence of this giant and then extrapolate from that all these other things that would happen. It's so cleverly done, so neatly done as well. Um, and Rob, you were saying about... So I like that you've um, got the short, so the short stories are where you are where yeah, the train stops they seem, you off most of the time. I, I, well, you know, I was asking people which ballad I should read. Uh, I yeah. asked several Ballardians... Where, <laughs> which, which ballad they should read and, and I think the ones um, every, all, all suggestions were gratefully received but actually the stories I think for me were the I yeah, wish yeah. I'd started with yeah, the stories yeah, that would be the way in for me we'll, we'll, get, to, we'll get back to what is this book? in a minute what, what, just okay. one minute we've got to do this because it's, it's all part of setting the scene for people setting about, scene. About, about Ballard himself Rob you mentioned that the, that Ballard's ideas come round again, and, and uh, you, that you know something that happened to him in 1946 might not be expressed until a book that was written 30 years seems, later. Yeah. Right? Um, Ballard also, as we talked about this book of interviews, is a brilliant talker, and I just want to play a clip now of uh, Ballard. I think this is in ni- 1989 or 1991. 89. Um, it's the first question of the interview. And the interviewer has come in with basically the worst ever question you can ask, right? Which is, which is where, pretty much, where do you, where'd you get your ideas, ideas from? from? Yeah. And so we're just going to listen to what Ballard weave magic out of air, right? <laughs> Go. J.G. Ballard, more than any other writer that I read and enjoy, you seem to me to invent worlds in your books. Where does all this stuff come from? Well, I'm an imaginative writer, obviously, and I think to be a... To be able to exercise an imagination over a long period of time, as I have done, one's got to 
be very well stocked in one's childhood with experiences of a pretty radical kind. And I think I was fortunate in my own case that I did have a, an extraordinary childhood. Uh, it, I think if my parents had decided, say, not to go out to China in 1929, and I'd been born in a suburb of Manchester, um, I, I might never have become a writer at all. It's very hard to say. But I think in my, in my own case, the very strange and exhilarating and in some ways very cruel world that Shanghai was um, fed my imagination. The extraordinary childhood. I think, I've been thinking about this since knowing I was going to come on here, I feel that um, knowing all the things that happened to Ballard um, and, and also indirectly that, that his friends blamed him for. They blamed him for the, for the d d corruption and destruction of their marriage or their cars or their lives <laughs> or their brains um, or their health and well-being. Knowing what happened to Ballard, I'm amazed his books aren't stranger than they are, actually. I think that, mm. there is, that, is, a, that is a classic... Um, a great interview question there, which he was asked in the Paris Review. I printed this out. I think this is a really interesting um, interview that was done in, with him in the early 1980s at home in Shepparton, in his little semi that he lived That's in his whole life. And he wrote photo. in. Yeah. yeah. The interviewer from the Paris Review asked, so how do you write exactly? And Ballard goes, actually, there's no secret. One simply pulls the cork out of the bottle, waits three minutes, and 2,000 or more years of Scottish craftsmanship does the rest. <laughs> <laughs> we talked about, we talked about this on Backlisted before yeah. in terms of writers' routines. <laughs> so Ball Ballard's famous routine was get the kids up, get them to school, 9 a.m., first glass of whiskey of the day, yeah. to draw a psychic line. That's right, between, that's in here, yeah, yeah very yeah. interesting. It's Amazing. in that sort of, um, I know you've talked about uh, Mason Curry's book, Writer's Rituals, uh, yeah, yeah. Daily Routines, yeah. Yeah. Um, and that is in, that's a fantastically interesting one, yeah, exactly, yeah. to draw a line between I, the prosaic and the... I, the I, I want to, um, this is from an interview that Ballard did, did at the end of his life. He, he was asked about Crash, as he clearly was. Yeah. Every interview he ever gave, he was asked about Empire of the Sun and Crash, right? This is, uh, he says this, uh, which I think is fascinating. He says, I regret it. I mean, now and again I open Crash and I think, my God, this is horrific. <laughs> I mean, this man is clearly mad. <laughs> and then, you know, it takes me a while to realise that the J.G. Ballard who brought up three very happy children and dot, 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 I find it a shocking book to read. I mean, I literally have to put it down and take a few breaths. In a way, it's a sort of psychopathic hymn. There's almost a religious dimension to it in a peculiar way. And I think, I think I laid myself bare there in a way that, I mean, it's a cry of anguish. Yeah. In a way, it's a cry of outrage. You know, I felt it took me a long while to get over my wife's death. And it's something I was reminded of every day because I was making sausage and mash for her three children. Yeah. I think it was another attempt to make, you know, two and two equal five once you crack that particular nut. If it's possible to do so, and you know everything seems to be a bit easier, but I'm not sure it is. Wow. I mean, I thought that That's was pretty amazing, but it takes me... The point, is, the point is, and that is fabulous, John, yeah. I agree, that it takes him clearly many years to process things that have happened to him. 73, writes Crash in 73, yeah. and towards the end of his life he can look at it and say... I mean, I'm sure he's very proud of it, and he, he would also say it was his best book. You can, he could close the cover on it. But that it's the result yeah. of... Trauma. Yeah. Do you, uh, that's the thing. I think people always often accuse Ballard of being completely unemotional, and there is that side in his prose, and, and it is very much the prose of, uh, of someone of his era, someone closing off their childhood, possibly, and, and being a medical student. But I've, I've, there, is a, there is a huge amount of emotion and sadness and fervour under the, mm. boiling under the surface there, but that's mm. the whole point, in it, I think, is being able to constrain it under this weird, warped cloche. I think yeah, that is yeah. part of why I love Ballard so much, and, 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 and especially Cocaine Nights. So shall I read the blurb? On? Now, we, yeah. now, we, now we've arrived at Cocaine Nights. <laughs> um, is that, is that, what, what about the one from the original? Yeah, go on, let's have It might be the, the same, don't it? It won't be, it'll be longer. <clears throat> it is longer. It's not huge, the bottom bit I'll do, is... I'll do, okay, uh, bold, let's do it, let's do it, <clears throat> We can, uh, Matt can put a bit of reverb on it. <laughs> <laughs> or cut it out. Yeah, uh, either. 
to an outsider, the retired British residents of the Spanish coastal resort of Estrella de Mar belong to an idyllic community, enjoying a lifestyle of constant cultural and sporting activity. And incidentally, we must, I, memo to self, we must discuss the constant cultural activity. That's one of the great things in this book. Based around the thriving club Nautico. But the image is shattered when five people die in a mysterious house fire during a party attended by members of the club and the club's manager, Frank Prentice, is arrested for murder. Arriving on the scene, his brother Charles is shocked to find that, though not even the police believe him capable of the crime, Frank is determined to plead guilty. If he is to understand his brother's attitude, Charles senses that he must first unravel the mysteries of Estrella de Mar. For beneath the civilised surface lies a secret world of crime, drugs and illicit sex, orchestrated by a charismatic Pied Piper figure whose dark influence is spreading with alarming speed. Okay, that's the first two paragraphs. And then this third paragraph has been printed in bold to, uh, to, uh, em- for emphasis. Emphasis. <laughs> J.G. Ballard is widely recognised as one of this country's most brilliant and distinctive novelists at the forefront of modern British fiction writing for over three decades. Now, drawing on the beguiling storytelling skills behind compelling novels like Empire of the Sun and Rushing to Paradise and the imagination that produced such startlingly original works as The Crystal World, crash and high rise he has created cocaine nights at once an engrossing mystery and an unnerving vision of a society coming to terms with a life of unlimited leisure someone needs a new thesaurus <laughs> <laughs> that's Startling. yeah most brilliant and distinctive is one of those yeah, yeah. isn't it so wonderfully the blurb on this modern edition you've got yeah is Absolutely, they took that and cut it down. So it's got exactly the same last line on it. Has it? Yeah. Yeah, so lazy, lazy. 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 Well, well, well done, Fourth Estate, my publisher. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's a lovely... I like the new Stanley Donwood covers. Oh, yes. Uh, right yeah, yeah. yeah. So that's a pr- I think that's so fair that's and accurate. Thing. Yeah, so, so as, as going back to the original... Um, you know, what, why did you pick up this book in the first place? It is that thing that my friend said. It's kind of like a bad mystery on purpose, but it's, <coughs> there's something beguiling about it. Why is it? Why is it a bad mystery on purpose? Because it's a funny. Because it, it is well, a. It's not a very compelling murder story. Halfway um, through the book, it's perfectly clear what's going on. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's not like ah, oh, the reveal on the. There, yeah. there is a bit of a twist at the end, but the, it's the, barely a twist. The line, yeah. the, there's a scene in an underground car park for the reveal. Uh, the plot's denouement, which would have a Scooby-Doo writer with his head in his hands. Uh, <laughs> such is yeah. both the predictability and the, the grind with which it's, it's revealed. Right? But he, but I see like, let's get out of here, Dr. Paula Hamilton. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, spoilers. Um, but, um, but I felt, Rob, that Ballard sort of uh, got bored with, the myst- with, with writing the mystery about halfway through the book. Well, I think... You see, I think... And What's this he is, up to is really... This is the yeah, big question. Yeah, I think, I think the point is, I think is, this is... Uh, that's why I've wondered... I've argued with people about this, whether this is a genre novel or not, whether this is, yeah. a, whether this is a crime novel, whether it's meant to be a... Th- I mean, it seems like it's meant to be all of all, of, all Ballardian tropes um, stuffed into a very loose, sort of thriller-shaped mm-hmm. bag. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. I suppose that's the thing. So it kind of gives, it gives the reader... It puts the reader off even more. You're meant to, you're meant to be solving this thing. But he, he's, a, he's, a, he's a ballard anti-hero. He's a thinly disguised ballard, you might say. He's always, they're always professional class. They've always got enough money to rootle around. They're, <laughs> they're, they're always going across borders. In fact, the, the, yeah, opening, yeah. the opening of the book is quite worth reading, I think. Maybe we'll do that in a, in a yeah, second. Yeah, yeah, please. That would be um, great. So they're, they're, they're all of the... So these... these these men go out into the world and discover something awful and can't help getting up to their neck in it. Oh, also, and just as, it's a, just as the water is about to, to break over their heads, they, they realise they are, they are finally happy because they have become this awful thing that they feared most. Also, I have to say, though, like, as, a, as someone who's read a whole lot of Ballard in the last month, <laughs> yeah. that, that, that this novel almost... Uh, uh, this is a backhanded compliment, but it is a compliment. Um, it it seems to me Ballard is is, um, admirably unafraid of self-parody that he he, the the repetition of it he's funny he's not not rated for being funny is a a deliberate artistic choice rather than a mistake and like in this novel in Cocaine Nights there are the the character archetypes that you would expect to find you just mentioned the protagonist right absolutely but there's also 
um, the uh, um, a messianic figure that that they tend to crop up in ballet yeah, books, right? This one is a messianic tennis pro yeah. uh, called Bobby Crawford. There's a there's a disillusioned psychiatrist. They yeah. pop up in ballet. There's one of those called Dr. Sanger, and there's a a, there's the a sexy well. yeah. uh, doctor, Dr. a young Hamilton. lady doctor, Dr. Paula Hamilton. Yes. Hamilton. We're getting we're, any minute now. We're getting to that sex scene, um, <laughs> and, um, and that I I. I, it strikes me that, okay, I, like I said, I'm a sceptic, yeah. I'm a sceptic, and because I'm a sceptic, I, I read that and I don't get a thrill of pleasure at recognising um, a thing that I would find in a J.G. Ballard novel. Mm. I, I get a slight sense of ennui and, <laughs> and irritation at finding this thing I would find in a J.G. Ballard yeah. novel. Well, I when mean, we sit on, on, on novelists that write similar books over and again, and they, you know... Well, we not those strikes. Who, did he, who did he lose out to the booker? Uh, oh, it was Anita Brooke. Uh, yeah, oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> but there is something oh, about, finding, there is something about yeah, feeling that you're, you're in a warm bath of stuff that you like, and you wonder if they're going to do it better, worse, That's such strangely. a good point, because, of course, I would say about Anita Bruckner, because I like Anita Bruckner, <laughs> yes. that she never yeah. wrote the same book twice. No. She chose her... Um, yeah. repertoire of imagery and characters mm. and she shifted them around exactly what one would say about J.G. Ballard if one liked J.G. Ballard I mean, so, it, 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 the, referee the, John the, Mitchinson well I think, the, I think the, the, the mystery here in a way is and it's important to say that there are three books at the end of Ballard's career that are his longest books um, Cocaine Nights Super Can and Millennium People and they are quite sing- I mean they're quite remarkably similar in their in, in their structure and in their they're all apparently thrillers they're all kind of and but I mean I should say I, I really enjoyed Cocaine Nights I enjoyed it even though I felt if I was a purist you know a Ruth Rendell P.D. James purist it, it kind of it was a pretty hopeless mystery it was a as a thriller yeah. but because it's Ballard you th- I'm just fascinated to, to what what why he chose Mm. a genre mm-hmm. in order to... What he really wants to write about is what he always wants to write about, which is the future. The, the, you know, what technology is doing to the, to, to the human psyche. Yeah. There's, a great, um, there's a great little bit um, uh, towards the end where he, he talks about the, the formula. He stumbled on the first and last truth about the leisure society and perhaps all societies. I mean, no, that's... Well, this is a thriller, mate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What? <laughs> Even Raymond Chandler didn't do that. Crime and creativity go together and always have done. Okay, if you say so. Um, the greater the sense of crime, the greater the civic awareness and the richer the civilization. Nothing else binds a community together. It's a strange paradox. Now, this is towards the end of... You know, we're getting on for the demur. Is, this, is, now, this a, is that, it's a is that prose? That's no, not that's a, a char- character speaking. Uh. Yeah. I, uh, I, is that, um, that's Bobby, is it? It's, yeah, that's Bobby. I uh, I asked um, a friend of mine uh, when I said, when I told my friend I was going to be doing this. Uh, he's a guy. Um, I hope he's listening. Darren Riley on Twitter, whose Twitter handle is Pancho Ballard yeah. because he loves JG Ballard <laughs> so much. I said, "Oh man, we're doing Cocaine Nights," and he said, "Oh, I'll read that again." Great. I haven't read it for years. He read it. Thanks, Darren. And he said, "He said, I said, well, what's it like?" And he went, "Horizontal high rise." <laughs> Very good. good. Um, and, and, th- and there's a line here on page uh, 304, uh, which the, uh, the um, disillusioned psychiatrist says. <laughs> uh, <laughs> capital D, capital I. Yeah. Cataleptic patients wake up and begin to dance. They laugh, cry, speak, and seem to recover their real selves. But the dosage must be increased to the point where it will kill. We know what medicine Crawford prescribes. This is a social economy based on drug dealing, theft, pornography, and escort services. From top to bottom, a condominium of crime. Yeah. It's the high-rise, okay. explicit so high-rise When did yeah. high-rise right? come out? Because high-rise is earlier, isn't it? That was the late 70s. What interests me, I think... Look, look, look we, we should just say, we should say a, a couple of things. 
It's a crazy title. It's a crazy title. Well, yeah. Can I also and say, he's, he's, he's no he, fool, he's though. Too, he's, he's crazy like a fox, John. Yeah, because because like, Cocaine Nights is like his third best-selling book. I know, but this, in the, there's an introduction that we slightly disagree. I think it's a brilliant introduction by James Lever to, this, to the, hmm. the Flamenco edition. Andy doesn't like it, because what, what, what basically James Lever says is, oh, Ballard, I love Ballard, the conceptual coup of this book. Yeah. He's writing a thriller, but it's Ballardian. Ding! Um, and I, I kind of buy that. Ballard's too clever a writer. He calls it Cocaine Nights, which is a, a kind of, it's a dime, you know, it's an airport novel title, yeah. and it, which it works. It's got nothing to do with drugs, this book, really. I mean, they're in there. But what it's to do... And then the other thing that I love, the amazing... Chapter. Titles. Oh, chapter. Uh, yes, yeah, brilliant. Rob, you could, you read, could you read the chapter titles as they appear, um, or yeah. just a, a, a collection because they're so good? A game of tease and chase. Yeah, well, the, I love, uh, chapter three: the tennis machine, yeah. an incident in the car park, a gathering of the clan, fraternal refusals, an attack on the balcony. They're quite criminals I mean, and benefactors. Are, yeah, they're, they're the Agatha bureaucracy Christie. of crime. They're Agatha the Christie, psychopath. The psychopath of saint. Or I love my last watch. Is it's a great. The syndicates of guilt. Yeah. The, syndicates of guilt, the syndicates of guilt is a good point as well, isn't it? So it's the James plot Herbert is novel. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the plot is half inch from um, so Murder on he, the Orange Express. Is yeah. He, yeah. Is he, has he created the kind of carapace of a thriller in order to smuggle in all his Balladian obsessions? Yeah. Which is what I think. So I think if you, if you don't like that, and I think you're saying that you don't like it, then I, 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 I can see why thought, you well, don't like I can it. See, I can, you, uh, one, my, okay. It's 330 pages long. Conceptually, you could do this. You could get all <laughs> yeah. that imagery in, in 30 pages. <laughs> Andy <laughs> Miller. It is spread harsh. Um, I think, I think... That brings into, it brings into question, though, doesn't it? Is the, what is fiction for? Oh. <laughs> I mean, here we go. If, it, if it's just you're right, if it's just what were you trying to say in this book? And here's a sheet of paper. You could have said it a lot quicker than that. Yeah. I mean, he's he's. Why create the characters? I mean, they they are all stock characters. It's about a fire that the house burns down. We we kind of yeah. figure out what's gone on fairly. But I do think structure. I don't think it's structurally as bad as. I mean, you know, there is some. There is some building tension. Yeah, I and mean, it's, it's the characters. It is. It's a, it's, a, it's a room for the characters to play around in. Bobby Crawford is the is the one. Having having read around and having reread Empire of the Sun and the, the kindness of women, I think this is. I think this is almost a, a, a pain and, a, and an auto a, a biography of his friend David Hunter that crops up in in oh, Empire of the Sun, who is the man who is the who is the young boy that is the first boy that is the one that tries to break right. out, yeah, yeah, yeah. and he's the one that. Um, messes around in, in front of Sergeant Nagata and is always trying to be punished. He later crops up in in, uh, in the kindness of women and he wants prostitutes when they're when they're hanging out in Canada but in the, in the RAF. He wants to be uh, thrashed by the prostitutes he hires and he wants to play all these mm. weird games. And he is the person also in the kindness of women who is the person behind who is Travis in Crash. He is the, he and in, in real okay. life That's he really interesting. He drove. He used to yeah. tr- chase Ballard around the streets of London at around the time that. Ballard was doing the car crash exhibition at um, the ICA, the, the ICA. Yeah. and um, he used to try to drive him off the road and he had to h- hide in garages <laughs> and put the thing there. It's amazing and that, and that is all in Cocaine Night. So I think Bobby Crawford is this David Hunter figure yeah, interesting. and this is the first time he's written him out I, of his I, w- I would like to say as well, I'd like to add in, in <laughs> my defence that, that I, I really thought um, the Atrocity exhibition was brilliant. Mm. Yeah, yeah. I mean, very difficult to read, but I, I like things that are difficult to read. <laughs> and it was, and I, again, I say this in the best possible way, it was like reading a conceptual art installation. That it's narrative, it's a, a really successful attempt to ditch narrative, but still hold something together as a novel through imagery and through an idea or several ideas banging into one another. One, another reason to like Ballard, he, he really loves Marbella. He used to go and stay in Marbella yeah. all the time. Mm. I mean, yeah. so when you think that, oh, this is a dark satire on these empty lives that people... He, he was the person that lapped it up like, the, like yeah. Charles Prentice does in the book. He and gets, I like yeah. that. That's one of the things I like about 
I mean, we, what about the sexy? Should we get should we cut straight <laughs> to the sexy? <laughs> can we, Rob, season the last to make Rob wait and then make him read this sexy? <laughs> read, read a bit that you want, read in a I just wanted nice to, actually, I'd quite, like to read read the the intro, I'd quite like to read the opening yeah, yeah, paragraph yeah. and then we'll come to the sex scene. Like, I think we've got, to have, we've got to have the main course before the pudding, haven't we? I don't know. As it were. <laughs> um, so chapter one of Cocaine Nights, Frontiers and Fatalities. Crossing frontiers is my profession. Those strips of no man's land between the checkpoints always seem such zones of promise, rich with the possibilities of new lives, new scents and affections. At the same time, they set off a reflex of unease that I've never been able to repress. As the customs officials rummage through my suitcases, I sense them trying to unpack my mind and reveal a contraband of forbidden dreams and memories. And even then, there are the special pleasures of being exposed, which may, well, which may well have made me a professional tourist. I earn my living as a travel writer, but I accept that this is little more than a masquerade. My real luggage is rarely locked. Its catches eager to be sprung. Hmm. Yeah. And there is a, lot of, there is a yeah. bit of the playing with the genre. There is a bit of knowingly joshing about with the, with the, with the, with the genre. That you sort of gumshoey type sort of it stuff is, yeah, as well. Is, yeah, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Page 193. And now you're in Estrella de Mar. Perhaps it's your first real home. I think it is. I've stopped feeling depressed here. She smiled like a contented child when I moved onto her back and kissed her eyes. I began to caress her, stroking her clitoris until she parted her thighs and steered my fingers into her vagina. Quote, that's nice. Don't forget my anus. (laughs) (laughs) Now, Rob... (laughs) <laughs> it's that, like being on, on trial it's brilliant yeah, I, I, met I put it to you yeah, I met someone I said what, um, what uh, they said oh, I'm doing the podcast so what books have you got coming up I said oh uh, we're doing Cocaine Nights by Jason Bell. I said oh Cocaine Nights don't forget my anus <laughs> I said when we read that my wife and I have re- referred to that book ever afterwards as J.G. Ballard's Don't Forget My Anus. <laughs> and I would have to say, this is the worst sex scene <laughs> I have ever read in my life. Come on, Rob. Um, Come on. And it's deliberately bad because J.G. Ballard was a genius. Yeah. <laughs> as it says uh, in the introduction. Uh, <laughs> Andy, what, what is interesting is, so Charles Prentice in Cocaine Nights has sex with Frank Prentice, his brother's girlfriend, basically. Yeah. Again, this happens in the kindness of women um, I don't know whether this is true or not, because this is the thinly disguised bi- uh, autobiography of the kindness of women. When his wife, uh, Mary, dies of um, pneumonia in Spain, which he kept on visiting, he kept on yeah, returning yeah, to yeah, the yeah. trouble spots of his yeah, life. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, uh, he, in the book, in the novel at least, he, has, he had straight away has sex with, um, while, while, the, while the, hu- uh, the husband-in-law um, is out taking the kids to the zoo, he's on the job with his, with his, wife, <laughs> his recently deceased wife's um, sister. So there is all, and this, so this pops up again. So th- that's the thing. I think I think this book brings out all the obsessions and 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 might plop them into a slightly loose thrillerish pool. But everything is in there. That's why I feel I, like I'm putting. I feel like this is a debate, and I'm having to put my case. No, 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 no. I think it's about, I, th- I found it complete. I found it completely fascinating. And mm. I'm not. What I'm not doing. I'm making this pains to say this. Right. I think Ballard is totally fascinating. Right. It clearly incredibly important incredibly interesting you know uh, I, I, but I didn't want to come and talk about this with you Rob yeah. having not done my homework because Which, uh, yeah. because you know uh, what's the point of coming on here but it is interesting the point is it's a slightly I mean it, you know it's a, an interesting thing because you're right in a way is what is Ballard doing I remember once with uh, trying to uh, writing an essay about the four quartets when I was a student and, and I tried to make the case that the third poem, which I didn't like very much, the Dry Sauvages, I think it's pronounced. I don't, I'm sure I'll get corrected. Uh, but it's the one that says, I don't know very much about gods. And I just, I, I made the, I, I basically said that T.S. Eliot was writing intentionally bad poetry as part of the overall aesthetic scheme of the poem, that this poem needed to be less good. And my tutor, rather brilliantly, said, I think we both know that. T.S. Eliot isn't that kind of poet. <laughs> <laughs> just totally... Uh, sort of sitting there and... Uh, yeah, I'm sorry. I'll, re- I'll, re- I'll rewrite that bit. I'm sorry. Was it quite a big pause? <laughs> it, was really, it was just yeah. he pressed his hands together and looked ah. at me sort of more, more in pity than kind of, you know, anger. But um, um, I think an, that, that, an almost ecclesiastical bollocking. But that's the, uh, that's the thing, isn't it? Is, was Ballard... Did Ballard mean to write a, a bad sex scene because kind of he was writing a pulp 
trying to do parody Pulp Fiction. Matthew Clayton, do you have <laughs> what I would call a tenuous link? I do have a tenuous link. So what's the tenuous link between Ian Fleming and J.G. Ballard? Ooh, both published Ooh. by Cape. Ooh. True, but... That's not it. No. Is it an F, is it an art, is it a services thing? Uh, no, but it's around high-rise. Is it? Oh, I know. Is it, Go- is it Goldfinger, the architect? Yes, it is. Oh. Yeah, it's Goldfinger. Oh, so do you know the story? So the story yeah, yeah. is, so Trellick Tower is kind of the basis for yeah. high-rise, which is the... Is it? Um, one of the buildings that um, Erno Goldfinger yeah. built, who is the most famous brutalist architecture, I guess. Yeah. Um, brutalist architect. He's got that one on the Elephant Castle roundabout as well. Yeah. yeah. Um, and um, it, he also built a house, I think in Hampstead. It is, That yeah. Ian Fleming hated. And so he called... <laughs> Goldfinger in the... Yeah. 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 That was how he got the baddie. Which is kind of wonderf- um, wonderfully petty. I, think. I thought yeah. you were going to say... <laughs> uh, who's the... I thought you were going to... Oh, I thought you were going to say it was because who, who's the who's the actor in the film of High Rise, the lead? Uh, Damien Lewis? Uh, no, no. no. I Tom seen Hiddleston. It. Is it good? Tom Hiddleston. Hiddleston. Yeah. So it's, it's the new Hiddleston Bond. Was, in, was going to be the new Bond? You see, I thought. Yeah. 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 They anyone that's put a suit on in a film. <laughs> and it's vaguely. They say a new Bond. Yeah. And, and of course, Woody Allen has been James Bond. Of course. In Casino Royale. Yeah. Yeah. Even then, yeah. even Woody Allen. Circle of Square. Little Jimmy Bond. Oh, yeah. So long, suckers. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I, I've, I've told yeah. this story on the podcast before, but I can't, we can't finish without telling it again, which is I met J.G. Ballard. So, and J.G. Ballard is a, I can say, this is what like, so man. mean about him today. Man. He's a lovely man, right? We, we, did a Very sign, good father. we did a signing at Waterstones, Kensington High Street. So, and it was a Saturday afternoon. It wasn't a reading, it was just a signing. And uh, J.G. Ballard turned up, he's very nice. We sat him down at the signing table and no members of the public came. And um, the manager made all the staff, including us, go out the fire escape (laughs) with our coats on, come round the front, buy copies, get them signed. So after we'd done that, and still nobody came, J.G. Bellard was very, he was lovely about it, he was very nice about it. And he went, I don't think this is really working, is it? I I, I think I'll go home, that's fine, that's fine. And off he went. And literally, within two minutes, a black cab screeched to a halt outside the shop. And out of the back jumped Brian Ferry with an enormous pile of J.G. Ballard books oh. <laughs> that he had brought to get signed. And we had to go, sorry, mate, he's gone home. Listen, I've got one last thing to say, okay. mate, I, and then I'm done. And then I've done, I've, I've given, I've, right, OK, listen. So my thing about Ballard is why, right, so when I said I was reading Cocaine Nights, it was liked by 15 people on Twitter, right. 13 of whom were men. Yeah. I have like a 50-50 split yeah. of followers yeah. as far as I can work out. So, so it's a very unscientific survey. But it did occur to me that it's very bloke. I think you're right. right? I think, I know liking you're yeah. Ballard yeah. is very like, and I'm not immune to the bloke virus, is, it's <laughs> like liking the fall. Yeah. It's like a, a series of a sort of slightly strange man who drinks a lot, yeah. who, lives, who lives in the suburbs who has a certain number of images that he repeats over and over yeah. again, who also has the sort of fans who catalogue everything that he does. I was looking at the brilliant yeah. Ballardian website. Amazing. Yes. Yeah. No one's ever going to do a website like yeah. that for Penelope Lively. But it's sort of like... Please someone do that now. It's Ballard, yeah. it's football and the clash yeah. for men who go to the ICA, right? It's, ma- it's, it's man ICA. There's the porn and there's the car thing. Yeah. Right? There's the whole car, it's like top gear. But for, oh, but for, and, and he's coming in strong wow. at the end here. Um, but it's, uh, it's not like top gear because that's actually enjoyed by women. I think it's... <laughs> right. I, think it's, I, think it's I think it's sort of... Uh, if, to bring it up to date, not... Well, I think it's almost... You can see why people like Jonathan Meads like it and Adam Curtis and these kind oh, yeah, of auteurs yeah. of, yeah. of, the, of a strange idea of, subjective, uh, of objectivity, which is a very subjective idea of, of objectivity. I think it's surrealist. I think people sometimes feel that it's surrealist. I know he's a fan of surrealism. In fact, the money that he got from, yeah. from, um, uh, from Empire of the Sun, the film Empire of the Sun, he had... Um, a Paul Delvaux, the Belgian surrealist painter. He had yeah. a Paul Delvaux painting 
a complete, you know, a perfect replica, if you like, painted in oils, and that was the one painting that I think hung in his writing room um, in Shepperton. So there are also he, he, all these he, things. He was a huge oh, Francis Bacon fan. Yeah. Um, he, he, I mean, his early stories, he said, were unreadable. He was sort of Joyce, Joycean kind of complexity. Mm. Um, but, I mean, I, th- I think the very fact that we've had such an... Int- I mean, whatever you say about Ballard, he, he stimulates really interesting oh, discussion. I, because the, I, ideas that, the ideas in Cocaine Nights, you know, this idea of this, co- this co- community and the, the basic idea that you have to seed crime into paradise. We, had, we didn't even get onto the, the amateur dramatics and the fact that they were doing... Don't forget my Pinter. <laughs> they, they, they were doing Pinter and, and Joe Orton. And kind yeah, of, yeah. It's, yeah. It's, he's, he's, I, think he's, I think he is a remarkable writer. And I think, I think if you buy Ballard, the genius, then you'll enjoy Cocaine Nights. Oh, you you know nice. what? I, I have to say, Rob, I, I have enjoyed reading this yeah. stuff and being sometimes really stimulated by it yeah. and sometimes really infuriated by it, probably more than anything we've done for Batlisted. Genuinely, yeah. sincerely, it's been fantastic to immerse oneself. It, Matthew took the piss out of me last time I said this. <laughs> but I really believe that you shouldn't be a prisoner of your own taste. Yeah, yeah Otherwise, true. you get stranded, right? Yeah. And, and it was One really of the joys of this podcast. For, really challenging for me to get it into this. So thank you very much. I really don't enjoyed it. Don't get on your concrete island. We don't <laughs> want that. You know, you're <laughs> crash your jag. Can I leave, we'll leave with one last bit of information? Yes. about yeah. um, J.G. Ballard's first choice of music, piece of music on Desert Island Discs, was the Teddy Bears Picnic. And when, and this was in the days when Sue Lawley did it, and when she drops the needle on the old, it sounds like it was a 78, and it was something that, uh, that Ballard had um, at Amherst Avenue in Shanghai where he grew up. Mm. And it's that, when, it, when, it, when the music, when the needle drops, it goes, if you go down to the woods today, you're in for a big surprise. And you just go, oh God, it all started there. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. It's uh, Brilliant. Yeah, frightening stuff. Well, that's uh, uh, no better place, I think, for us to stop. Um, thanks to, to Rob, to uh, our producer Matt Hall, to our sponsors Unbound. You can get untouched, in touch with us on Twitter at Backlisted Pod, on Facebook uh, at Backlisted Pod, and on our Unbound site at unbound.com forward slash Backlisted. Thank you for listening, and don't forget my anus. <laughs> See you in a fortnight. You can choose to listen to Backlisted with or without adverts. If you prefer to listen to it without adverts, you can join us on our Patreon at patreon.com forward slash Backlisted, where you also get bonus content of two episodes of Locklisted, the podcast where we talk about the books and films and music that we've been listening to over the last uh, couple of weeks.